Good evening, everyone. Uh, good evening. I'm Pastor Joey Wiesman. I'm really excited to welcome all of you to this evening's event, Speaking Peace Together. We have two uh, really special guests with us this evening, Ash Atier and his friend Brian Newman, who together uh, are going to share how from their disparate, very different backgrounds, uh, they came to be able to speak peace together because of the influence of Jesus in their lives. So uh, I'm not going to take too much more time. We've got some guys setting up some chairs if you're were searching, uh, but let me welcome up Ash and Brian. You guys can come on up and take it away. Let's give them a round of applause. Thanks. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. We're gonna get we're gonna get used to our microphones here for a minute. Yeah. Um, I'm stuck. Oh, he's stuck. So you have to under, you have to know something about us. We Ashraf and I very I, I call him Ashraf. I know mo, mo, many of you know him as Ash. Uh, I it's just really difficult for me to shift from that. So if you hear Ashraf. That's him, if anyone's <laughs> wondering. So we never do this sitting down. So uh, everybody can take bets which one of us stands up first when we're speaking, okay? So we're gonna try to uh, stay seated as a really great venue and context. So, um, hey, thank you for being here this evening. Um, we know that in a room this size and with this number of people, uh, we all come with both different experiences and questions, and when you see a title of something that says an Arab and a Jew, whatever, it's like the beginning of a bad joke, right? <clears throat> so uh, hopefully it's not the beginning of a bad joke. Uh, you'll hear about Ashraf's and my backgrounds here and um, how we have become uh, sort of unlikely friends. Uh, Ashraf comes from uh, an Arab background, from a Muslim background, and I come from a Jewish background. Uh, I grew up in New York, and uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that. But we want to do a few things this evening. Uh, number one, we'll tell you a little bit about our backgrounds and how we got here, how to, we're, we're here. Um, we're going to talk about the, at least some of the questions that all of us have around this thing about the Abrahamic faiths of Judaism and Christianity and Islam and how all that relates to each other. So we'll talk about some questions we have. We'll also ask a question of how does this person, Jesus, relate to all of this topic around peace? And that's been a very, very big part of our story uh, for the last several years, bunch of years now. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is some things that, that Ashraf and I are learning. Uh, we are still learning this. We haven't figured it all out. And so we'll share a little bit about that. There'll be a couple of times where we'll pause and say, hey, does anybody have a question? Anything that uh, you want to bring up? And hopefully we'll have time for that uh, afterward as, as well. So there'll be some, some, time at, some time at the end. And Joey said that this is about a five-hour event. Is that correct? <laughs> Everybody, Joey, we're good till midnight. I will start the conversation. No, we... Hey, no, I'm, no. A, I'm an Arab. I always say, the American has this watch. I have time. That's right. So. That's right. So, um, so let's get started. Some of you know uh, Ashraf uh, because of his involvement here at the church, his and Emily's, but uh, Ashraf's going to sort of get us started and tell a little bit of his context and story, and then I will. Mm -hmm. So, Ashraf. Well, uh, everybody hear me well? 
because this thing, I'm really fighting with it. Good? Do you want me to speak louder? I just don't want to be, look like I'm shouting at you, you know? Okay. Um, so, uh, I am Ash, and, uh, or Ashraf, whatever you prefer to call me. According to tradition of my, uh, my family and my, our area, every kind of tribe down uh, under, uh, under it, many families, and every family have a leader. And in my family, uh, my grandfather was the leader of that family. So for that, he had to prepare a certain time, a certain age, his successor. And because my dad is his firstborn, uh, and my dad was, uh, have some uh, job issues, that he didn't get to involve with the community as much as of this position. So if you ask about what this position, as a leader of the family, you are responsible to represent the family with other families, or you are the person who uh, many of the people in the neighbor or the village or the city could lean into you to solve some problems or some conflicts or something like that. Now, uh, um, family, tribes, and faith is part of that uh, position. So you have to know your community, you, know, you have to know your family, and you have to know the, what can help you either to guarantee the loyalty of the people to you, or what the way how you uh, function according to uh, the religion uh, tradition. Uh, because for most of part, I know in a setup of Christians, we always say uh, living, uh, Christian, uh, living faith is a lifestyle. But when it's come to Middle Eastern, uh, across all religion, it's part of who you are. It's part of your identity. It's not the way how you worship God only although this is a big part of it, but the major part is it's also your ID. It's the way how you relate to other people. That's why religion is the one, is the one determine your uh, way of, uh, the way how you dress, the way what you eat, what you drink, uh, the, the greetings, the uh, how you treat other uh, people and other genders, all that, it's the core identity. So to uh, fast forward from that, that's the way how I became into, instead of my dad's position, to, because I'm the firstborn of my grandfather firstborn. Um, and so uh, at young age, I was raised under his wing in what I usually call a very old-fashioned discipleship, uh, literally living with the master. So. Uh, I went with him from the family home to the mosque, which is also within the, the compound of the family. And that's the part where I have to uh, keep my mouth shut and watch and observe what he is doing, how he greet people, how he deal with them, how he solve the problem, how he use, when he can use religion, when he can use tradition. So all that. Uh, around the age, uh, maybe 13, 14, 
I have some conflict with, uh, with the family religion, and I kind of start questioning an area where it shouldn't be questioned. Uh, the family first welcomed that as my dad, my grandfather. They both, for my questions, they try to find a way to push me to the other person. So I spoke to my dad, you know, go speak to your grandfather. I spoke with my grandfather, go speak with the imam. So this ping pong kind of, I end up with the imam, I ask several questions, and end up bugging him, getting under his skin, and he told me, well, don't question anything like that because it's God said so. Good luck telling me that. Um, um, so from there, uh, I kind of start getting away from God and start finding my own philosophy. Never came to deny God's existence. Uh, it's just I didn't understand God. If, his, if the people in my, in my life who they're supposed to guide me toward God, they don't have answers. If the text and the tradition didn't know really who is, what is God's opinion on these questions, then I will be uh, waiting. I don't need to read a book of 2,000 years old or 500 or 2,000 page in that case uh, to know about God. I don't want to hear a prophet who lived 1,500 years ago, minimum, to uh, understand God. If God there, if he cared, he would speak to me. Um, and I lived in that, kind of went away from the family. I did still fulfill all my social expectation as in that position and place. Um, uh, but I did not have any relationship with the family faith. Uh, around when I was 17, I got to meet a friend uh, through sport. Uh, this friend was really uh, into his faith. He is so committed and so uh, um, loyal to his Christian faith. And so, uh, although he never told me anything about Jesus, but I saw a different life into his faith. Uh, and I started getting curious about it. And at one, at one point, uh, as we are sitting, just having a conversation, another Muslim friend asked this Christian friend a question. And as uh, I joked about it yesterday, as any Middle Eastern conversation, it starts with a good term, end up with a fight. And I was in the middle to stop that fight. And so, um, but that's when I start to get curious person, personally, why this person is so, as much as he is peaceful, he is a good guy, he got so offended by uh, somebody speaking about his faith. Uh, to not get into the details, uh, it took me two, two years from that point, searching and looking for answer. And as much as I uh, start busy looking about or looking for God as much as he starts revealing himself to me uh, through TV, through radio stations, through reading. And it was two years after I come to a point to face who I am and who God is 
and I went into uh, what I call a very dark night uh, where I was really depressed, uh, lost every hope of life, and I uh, just screamed, yelled, fought with God. And that's the time when I hear a message through radio station. Uh, that night, all my answers, and uh, all my questions answered by that message, although it was just maybe two to three minutes. And so uh, that's the moment I became to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And um, it took a couple of years to move from Jordan to Lebanon to Indianapolis <laughs> and um, to be here and get to know Brian. That's part one. Here's part two. Ready? Very different context, kind of move about 6,000 miles west. So I uh, grew up in a Jewish family on Long Island. Uh, how many of you know uh, the show Seinfeld? Oh, raise your hand, okay. So uh, for those of you who do, I know younger people are like, Seinfeld? Who's Seinfeld? Um, so my family's a little bit like walking into a Seinfeld episode. If you're on the outside of it, it's funny. If you're on the other inside, it's just a little bit crazy making. So, uh, so I grew up in a very culturally Jewish family. We really had very little faith in God, but we very much identified as a, a Jewish family. Uh, we lived in sort of this self-made uh, ghetto, in a sense, almost, on Long Island. You were either Jewish or Italian in my neighborhood. Every once in a while, there was like a stray Catholic person. We were like, why are you here, you know? And uh, so my, my brothers and I, we were, we were bar mitzvah. We were part of a synagogue, all of that, that probably some of you know people in, in Indianapolis. Indianapolis has a Jewish community as well, and very typically uh, Jewish. And uh, my grandfather was uh, an Orthodox religious Jew in New York City and uh, quite well-known and uh, my parents left New York City and moved to Long Island, and the joke always was that uh, when people of my parents' age, when they moved from New York City to Long Island, they lost their faith somewhere like on the motorway, on the freeway going out to Long Island to move, and that's kind of how we, how we grew up. I went off to, to college to, uh, in upstate New York and really kind of wanted to leave my Jewish culture and identity behind. And uh, I always remember this. My, my first year in college, I, did, I had a public speaking class, and I was a, a communications major. And there was a, a guy who was our teacher, and he walked into the first day of class and said, how many of you are from Long Island? And I raised my hand, and he said, by the end of this class, you will lose your accent, or I will fail you. And I used to talk like this, and I mean, I had this really thick Long Island accent. And by the end of that semester, I had lost my accent. And I can put it back on, yes, if you, yeah. <laughs> so so th that was a little bit symbolic of what I wanted in my life. I, I wanted to lose that identity. Well, a couple years later, um, I had been, um, been dating a gal. Her name is, she's still alive. Her, her name is Mary Grace McCarthy. 
as Irish Catholic as you could ever get. And she was quite religious as well. Well, after we dated for about a year, she actually broke up with me for one reason and one reason only, because we were different religions. And it was really the very first time like God ever got in the way or anything like that. And um, I went into kind of a tailspin, uh, sort of emotionally and spiritually. And a couple years before, several years before, my next older brother had come to faith in Jesus. And very different, completely different story, but um, he, we were quite close. I had never really asked him about faith but he sent me a a gospel of Matthew. I was kind of desperate, and I called him one time and said, is there something I should read? And he said, why don't you read the gospel of Matthew? And my response was, what the heck is the gospel of Matthew? I I knew nothing, absolutely nothing of of God, of Jesus, of New Testament, Old Testament, nothing. I had left all that behind. Well, to make a long story short, um, in a pretty miraculous way, having nothing to do with my Jewish background, um, I came to faith when I was 20 years old uh, by myself in a, in a dormitory room in, in upstate New York, and I was just desperate enough. Uh, actually, Ashraf's and my stories are a little bit uh, similar. In I, I actually did not wrestle with, with the gospel uh, as, as I would know it now very much. I just basically cried out to God. And two days after I did that, that was on a Saturday morning, and on Monday, I actually went to the gym to go work out, and I met two guys named Bill and Dave, and they were two Christian students who I had never met before, and it was like God put these two people in my life, and they uh, invited me to some discipleship group, and I was like, what's discipleship? I mean, like, what? I knew nothing, and it's funny because I'm still good friends with one of them. I actually just saw him a couple weeks ago. Bill, he's a pastor in New York, and he, he just jokes about when he first met me, how little I knew about God or about the gospel or about Jesus. Like, I was such a blank slate uh, that it was just, here I was. And it wasn't until many, many years later, and we'll, Ashraf and I now will fast forward about what we're doing here. It wasn't until many years later that God even opened my heart and mind to ask the question of, hey, wait a minute. I come from this Jewish background and I'm a follower of Jesus. And what does all that mean? And what does that look like? And so we'll, we'll fast forward uh, to a, a scene that actually happened in Minneapolis. Ashraf and I got to know each other in uh, 2011, 13, 13, 13, 13, something like that. Um, we were both involved with a, a ministry uh, that was an educational ministry that helped Christians understand uh, the Muslim world, and uh, so we had interacted a little bit uh, on the phone and in an interview. Ashraf was coming on staff of the of the ministry, but when we really got to know each other was at this point. We were at a training together. There was about 50 people in the room. They were being trained to uh, be workers in in the Islamic world, and at the end of the first evening. Uh, we had a time of communion. And uh, the gentleman who was leading that evening, he had just kind of preached a message, sort of, kind of spoke. And he said to me, would you lead the Lord's Supper, communion, with this group? And I, I, had, I said, sure, I, I, would, I would do that. So I, I was down 
on the floor like here, and everybody came forward to receive the bread and the cup for communion. And toward the end of the line, Ashraf was there. And so here we were, from our backgrounds, me from this Jewish background, and at that time, I had really started to, uh, you know, kind of wrestle pretty deeply with my own history and what that was. And then here comes Ashraf coming up, and here's uh, this Jewish guy who's following Jesus, holding this bread and this cup, and here's this guy from this Muslim background, and we just sort of looked at each other, and it was, it was just this, this moment of, of sort of this divine appointment where this Jewish person, this person from this Jewish background, this person from this Muslim background came together and I, and he said to me, hi, I'm Ashraf, and I said, hi, I'm Brian, and we knew each other's backgrounds, but I had had very, very, very little interaction with the Arab world growing up in the background that I have come from. I, I just, you know, Arabs were sort of the sworn enemy. And for Ashraf, he had had very, very little background with people from a Jewish background. And so I said, well, th this is the best place we can meet around this table and around this symbol. And it was this, just this powerful, holy moment where as different as we are, and were and are, there was something we had in common that allowed us to come together. And that's really key for what we're going to talk about this evening as, as, we, as we talk a little bit more. So that's a little bit of our backgrounds. There's obviously a lot more we can, we can say about it. But, um, so fast forward to today. Uh, about, uh, about eight or nine years ago, uh, God led me to uh, start a little organization uh, that's called the Isaac Ishmael Initiative. And very simply, we, um, we try to help promote this biblical idea of shalom, what we would call peace, that's found in Christ to Jewish and Muslim communities. That, that's, that's the heart of what we do. And very shortly thereafter, after I had started it, uh, Ashraf came along and um, kind of brought in a, a, a larger perspective. And there was another guy who was with us for some years by the name of Jeff, um, who worked with us for some years, and now he's gone off on his own. And now we have someone else that's come on uh, with us called, named Elias, who's a Palestinian Christian, who gives a different perspective again. And so what, what we do is, um, this is sort of our vision for uh, what, what we want um, to see happen. And this is, this is big picture stuff. This is not stuff that you would hear or see uh, anywhere in the newspapers or whatever. But our vision is kind of threefold. One is that God makes a promise that people of all tongues and ethnicities and backgrounds will come and worship him. And we believe that uh, Jewish people and Muslim people are part of that. Now, it is in and through Jesus, we would tell, say that right away. Um, that, that's the picture you get in a place like Ro uh, Revelation chapter 7. And so that's, that's part of our sort of vision for, for what we see. Um, we, um, we are really called to sort of uh, tear down walls, and we'll talk about that in a little bit from uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We'll come back to that. 
And then lastly is this idea of, of kingdom, of kingdom shalom, kingdom peace. And we'll, we'll talk about peace in, in a couple minutes. And so how we work that out as the Isaac Ishmael Initiative, we do a few things. One is we do things like this, which are kind of educational training. It help, we help people um, ask, ask questions, ask good questions, hopefully. Um, we really love interacting with people who are from Jewish backgrounds and Muslim backgrounds and Christian backgrounds. Um, somebody asked me the other day in an airport, I was at an airport, and he asked what I did, and I said, well, I'm part of this thing called the Isaac Ishmael Initiative, and he said, what's that? And I said, well, basically, we, we try to help Christians and Muslims and Jews not hate each other quite so much. <laughs> and, Just a little. and he said, and he said, well, you have great job security. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said yes, yes, indeed, uh, we, we actually yeah. do. Um, so it's this idea of, of kingdom shalom. So um, that's a, a little bit about, about us. And then there's one other piece. Ashraf will talk a little bit about. You missed the Holy Land tour. What's that? You missed the Holy Land tours. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Well, sorry, one other thing that Ashraf's going to talk about the book we wrote. So um, related to to education and training, uh, we, we do something, you'll see a little thing here if you stop off after. Um, uh, Elias and I do a, a trip to the Holy Land. It's called Not Your Grandmother's Holy Land Tour. And um, I think that's all I'll say about it. Uh, so <laughs> you can pick up a flyer. We go once a year. We're actually going in a few weeks. So it's a different kind of Holy Land trip, I guess you could say. Um, and we also do a, a bunch of work uh, in what I would call advocacy or working, especially partnering with some organizations uh, who help refugees and immigrants. And we do that in the Middle East, we've done that in North Africa, we've done it in Europe. Uh, we, we do all of that overseas. So that's kind of the scope of our work. It's both on the educational training side, uh, around seminars like this, we do a bunch of speaking around that, and then, and then trips to the Holy Land, and then also advocacy work. Uh, with, with refugees. So that, that's a little bit of a snapshot of the, of the Isaac Ishmael Initiative. And then one other thing that we do is we try to produce materials and resources for people to help in, in all of these things. So Ashraf will talk about that for us. Yeah. Um, and here where I'm standing. Oh, he stood first. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Told you, I told it's you one kinda, of us was going to stand. It's kind of holding my hand. I can't talk, really, <laughs> like holding my tongue. So this is a book that we wrote probably two years ago, um, two to uh, um, a little bit over. And um, there's, um, is this the slide? Yeah. Okay. Just make sure. Uh, so the voice of this book is really uh, our thoughts and the way how we process peace, the way how we process who we are. and. Uh, the way of trying to put it all together in one, in one um, to speak our mind, basically. Um, so it's not about, uh, you know, this is uh, just talking about the good things and how that's what makes it unique, I think, to me personally. It's not just uh, looking in a view of an Arab and Jew and American a uh, guy talking about the way how we can live good, but it's also how to present a biblical perspective and foundation for the idea of peace, shalom, and salam. Um, because 
the idea of biblical peace is a little bit different from what we give the term peace uh, in that mind. Um, one of the things that we came to uh, agree that we don't agree on everything, you know. We still have our history, our heritage, our uh, way of processing things. I mean, I, I don't think, even as Americans in Indiana, you process things as for Brian, who's in New York. So for us, it was totally different uh, um, uh, process, and I think the process of writing uh, showed that we learned a lot during that, and we mention it, actually. We talk about it in the book, the way how putting one idea here where we struggle with it for hours and delayed our work sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, but we also focused on the three of us, we agree on one thing that united us, and this is the only, this is the only thing that brought us all together to work together, which is Jesus. And so this is the core of our identity, and this is the core of our faith. Uh, I already covered that, so I talk about um, the different meaning of peace, and we will speak, I think, in one or two perspectives on that, even though peace, um, the word peace, or the meaning of peace, has contained a larger um, meanings. I'll make a shift. Mm -hmm. So, here's a question for everybody. Um, why are you here? I, I would guess that everybody came with a question or questions. Uh, guaranteed. We're, if you're a person of faith, if you're a person of no faith, if, you've been, if you're part of this church, another church, you're part of a synagogue, you're part of whatever, we all have, when we talk about this subject around the Jewish community and Muslims and Christians, we all have questions. By the way, we don't only, we don't only, only have questions. We, most of us have pretty strong opinions, do we not? Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, I see several of you nodding. The rest <laughs> of you are in denial. Okay. So, I want to do a little exercise um, with you for a moment. Just look at the screen. If I can get this to work. I hope. It is. So, um, okay, let's tell me what you see. You're going to see me a bunch, but okay, just somebody describe this person that you see, if you know what I'm wearing by any chance. Okay, a Tatalis, so that would be Jewish, correct? I had just come out of a Yom Kippur service. Okay, anybody know what I'm wearing? It's a kafia. so there's a connotation with that. What's the connotation? Islamic, something, Arab, Arab <laughs> right? Okay, so you have a little bit of a different connotation. That's, that's Same common. person. Same person, different connotation, okay? How about that? Dangerous, right? Okay. There is a, oh. <laughs> yep. A little, couple of groans and stuff, okay? I was actually in North Africa at this point. Okay, how about that? 
<laughs> okay? Okay? I was speaking at a funeral of a, a, a two-star general and wore my red, white, and blue tie. I had an American flag on. I, yep. Right? Okay, how about this one? Or not? That's different too, right? Okay, here's the point. Uh, symbols matter. And we see someone on the street that looks a certain way, and we have certain ideas about the person. Um, some time ago, when I lived in Colorado until a year ago, uh, I was walking down the street in Denver by our condo, and there was a woman who was dressed in black, and she was wearing a hijab, and we were coming toward each other, and I saw her from a distance, I was walking my dog, and I just crossed the street to walk, and I didn't even think about it. It just happened. And I had to really process that after. And, and so both of us deal with this because of our background and what we assume about the other quite a bit. So if I, growing up, had seen somebody like Ashraf, the way he looks, and if I knew he was Arab, I, I would have nothing to do with him. It was just like in the water I drank or something growing up, or, and vice versa, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we, we mentioned this just to, to kind of get us thinking about the ways all of us process this type of conversation. It's, it's much more um, highlighted today than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Even when we started to do these seminars together and working together um, six years ago, it, it felt different than it does, than it does today. It's, it, it's very, very challenging. For By the way, us. our first, our first uh, seminar was in 9-11. Not 9-11-2001, but um, 2013, 14, later. something like that. And uh, that was the message in that memory. So um, let's talk for a couple of minutes about peace. So everybody wants peace. Everybody does. Songs are written about it. Uh, you know, you 2 and Bono write about it like crazy. Uh, you have people from religious backgrounds. Every, every once in a while, you hear somebody who is not wanting peace. Every once in a while, very, very rarely, and you, you just kind of interact with them and go, that's just wrong. There's like something inside of us, deep inside of us, that wants peace. Now, we would say that God puts that in us. But if, if, you're, if you're here and you're agnostic or an atheist, and you still want this idea of you have something in you that says peace is a good thing, you have to ask where you, where you get that from. Now, we, we would say that God puts that in us, that there's something about God himself about peace. 
But I think we could all agree that the vast majority of people want peace. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah? Okay. Doesn't matter your culture or your upbringing. Is that right from a, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Ju absolutely. Jewish people, Muslim people. Yeah. Muslim people believe God is the peace himself. That's right. It's his name. Yep. And that's, uh, they're greeting. Yep. So then this happens. So for those, uh, I, I was not quite old enough, but for those of you who were old enough, you were asked the question for much of your life, where were you when Kennedy was shot? Well, this is the question of today. Where were you when planes hit the towers? That's the question of this generation. Now, there's a generation that's coming up now, maybe you, some of you are here, who say, you know what? Uh, I'm 16 years old. I was not born then. But this was a, a massively defining moment, especially, especially for the Abrahamic faiths. Because whether we like it or not, whether we, whatever we think of it, this event had everything to do with religion in some way, religion, quote unquote. It, it wasn't divorced from that. And so this, this changed the conversation around peace. And what we would like to, us to consider tonight, you don't have to agree with it, but um, we'd like you to consider this. Um, when our culture, and, I'm, and I don't mean American culture, I mean Western culture, when we traded this idea of peace for security. Now, just take a minute and let that sink in. You may be thoroughly unconvinced by this, <laughs> or you may be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But just give it a moment to sink in. And we're not making a judgment about it being right or wrong. But if you're a person, if you're a person who says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, when we talk about peace today with anybody around us, any, you walk out in the street and you talk about peace, for the vast majority of people in the Western world, what we're talking about is security. It, it's not just about what we understood peace to be in the year 2000 or 1999. It's different now. And for many people, maybe some of us here, this idea of peace and security are synonymous. Now, I'll speak for a moment, and Ashraf, maybe you can jump in from a Muslim perspective. From a or Jewish, what's that? An Arab. Or an Arab perspective, yeah. yeah. For Jewish people, even before 9-11, even before 9-11, Jewish people thought like this. For Jewish people, the idea of peace is the Holocaust will never happen again. For Jewish people, peace means security. Now, that, that's just the Jewish worldview. If you were to meet any of my relatives or, or, or anyone from a Jewish background, now, they might not be able to put it in those terms, but they thought that way. So what, what happened after 9-11 was a lot of us, whatever our faith background, started to think that way as well. Right? And from an Arab perspective? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Arab 
perspective, um, as, as you think about the whole aftermath as an Arab, even sometimes if you're not Arab but you look like us, you're accused already. So you're in a place where I have to defend myself. I have to present my, to provide or prove that I am loyal to the country. Or I am here immigrating just because I am looking for better life, a better education, or because my spouse is American. So when people back in the time, like I remember my uncles, my cousins, when they used to travel to the West, they never have the thought of, oh, I'm scared to go there. That was one of my fears, that after start talking even about my relationship with my wife, what if I end up going to the US? Thinking from that on a personal perspective, what I'm gonna do there? In a cultural perspective, why I would put myself in a place where I'm not welcome just because the way how I look, or the way how I speak, or the way how I process things. So it was fear. It was uh, almost gonna be a, a way of rethinking our relationship. But as much as we give our obedience to God and think about how things between us are going, going that's the time when we get to feel the comfort and the peace. And you know, I, I remember also, it's, um, I'm sorry if I'm going far a little bit here, but it's like when you talk about Muslims or you talk about Arabs or Middle Eastern and you don't have any friend from that part of the world or that religion, you're just assuming things or being repeating stereotype. And I think, to me, coming to the US was also stereotype. I'm afraid because of this and that, because it's also stereotype. So that's the perspective of processing or knowing what peace is. Do I feel the peace to come here? Do I feel um, welcome? Do I feel belonging? And, and this has to do with, uh, this is one of the questions we were talking about. So all of us has to ask, who is the other in mm -hmm. my life? Who is the other in my life? We all have them. And what I mean is that, who are the people in our life, in our neighborhood, at work, or wherever, who are just fundamentally different than us? That, that we don't understand, and so we fear? It is a core question for all of us of who is the other in our life. Two weeks ago, I, just, I, I spoke at my, at my church, and one of the things I said was, we all have this tendency, and the tendency is to become tribal. Now, Ashraf comes from a tribal background, so he, doesn't, he has an excuse. He, like, grew up with it. I look yeah. for him. Yeah. <laughs> But, but all of us, what I mean by this is, we all tend to congregate with people like ourselves. The, by the way, the Jewish community does it as much as anybody, if not more. So why do we do that? Well, it's easy. 
we understand people. We understand the language and the cultural cues and, and all of that. And by the way, we do it because we don't have to ask this question of who's the other, because everybody's like us. And so this, this is a question that, that we're always asking and we're always struggling with. And by the way, I mean, this is personal to, to both of us because our, our original tribes, you know, that where I came from and where Ashraf comes from, the, neither of them are really excited about our faith. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I talk to Jewish people. Oh, they, they, yeah, they may be excited, yeah. but not excited positively. I think, yeah, they accepted, not respected. Well, they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have to struggle with it, too. And, and for Jewish people, Jewish people will say that I'm no longer Jewish. Uh, end of conversation. Oh, you've become a Gentile. No, I haven't. <laughs> so, I mean, so that's, what, that's, what we, that's what we always do. That's just, but it's a question that we all have to ask. Here, here's another one. I can get this. So, how am I relating or not relating to the other? If I understand correctly, within a mile of this church, this building, there's a bunch of people from uh, Turkish or Kurdish backgrounds who are here for whatever reason. I, I, I've worked in Indianapolis, so I know there's sort of pockets of people uh, from different immigrant backgrounds. How, how are you relating to that other person? Uh, and, I mean, I'm not proud of the fact that I walked to the other side of the street when I, I saw this woman walking in Denver. So my answer to this at the time was, well, I'm relating poorly or not at all to, to the person. It's just, it's a rhetorical question I think all of us need, need to ask. Here's, a, here's another one. So what is Jesus' view of the other? See, th this is a question that we've had to ask each other, and we've had to ask ourselves about the other. So I, I had to unlearn things about Arab culture that I thought I knew. Partially, it was just wrong. Whether I knew Jesus or not, it was just wrong. But, but the other thing was, I started to ask the question, well, what does Jesus think about Ashraf's culture? and people, and tribe? And the answer is, he loves them. He cares. He died for them. He, mm -hmm. Just like he did, by the way, for Jewish people, and for people all over. And by the way, we are similar to our families, similar as much as we don't know, and as much as both Jewish and Arab like to admit it. They don't like to admit that, but they are so similar with the way how processing, it's just the walls, the facility, I think. It's what built one, up. One day we were in the, uh, we were, Ashraf's, Ashraf was talking to his mom in Arabic. So I don't speak Arabic, but he got off the phone with his mom. His mom lives in the Middle East. And I, it was a curious conversation. I was listening and just listening to his tone and his mannerisms. And he explained to me in English what he was talking to his mom about. And I said, your mom sounds just like my mom. <laughs> and I, and I, I wanted to say to him, do you have a Jewish mom? 
And then I thought, that's a stupid question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is funny just to see how similar actually the cultures are. Yeah. And um, like our, our moms and our dads, we're going to tell a story about our dads in a little bit. The whole thing about being able to, I think, reconciliate and reconnect with the heritage I, and the family. You know, as I said, uh, um, for Arabs or Muslims, um, there is a part of Islam as a culture and religion. So even though I have uh, left the, uh, the doctrine side, but I still belong to the family side. It's the same way if I am in my country, if I'm in, among my family, I still belong to them. I still uh, celebrate with them. I still, that's the way how I think. So when, you, when I think about family, part of that is come from their faith um, um, heritage. So I don't think I would ever, just like Brian, you know, I don't think you would ever stop being Jewish in that perspective. Right. And that's the right. same for me as Middle Eastern, as an Arab. Yeah. What he just said, I could say the exact same thing about how Jewish people think about religion and culture. That they are, they are wedded. That you, you don't separate them. I, interestingly enough, it, as, we, as we think about what Jesus thinks of the other, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's any Jewish people here this evening, but we've been in contexts like that where, where there are Jewish people and Muslim people. And this question about Jesus is very, 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 very difficult for Jewish people to talk about. Uh, the, Jesus is just a conversation stopper for Jewish people. For Muslim people, it, Jesus is not, because Jesus is a prophet. He's highly respected. He's spoken about in the Quran 90-plus times all positively. Now, there are very distinct differences between Christianity and Islam about Jesus. Let's all agree on that. So, mm -hmm. but, but Islam... Uh, speaks and understands the person of Jesus very, very highly and with deep, deep respect. Whereas in, when, when you interact with a Jewish person, it's, it's, just, it's very different. So here's a last question. Again, it's a rhetorical question. It's for all of us. So what's the next question for you and me? You see, there's, there's something that stirs in all of us that we believe God puts in us that is the next question that he wants us to ask. And it may be something like, who, who am I to get to know? Who have I been afraid of? Um, who do I need to reach out to? Who do I just need to learn about? I'll give you an example of it because it's been in the news the last couple of days. Just in the last few years, I've been on a journey uh, because of some circumstance of learning about the Kurdish people. I knew nothing about the Kurdish people two or three years ago. Just very, very little. And by certain circumstances, I ended up in Iraq, and I ended up in northern Iraq, and got to know some Kurdish people. And so I've been on this huge learning curve around this culture I knew nothing about. And so I've read as much as I could. I've gotten to know a couple of Kurdish people and just been, been learning. So that, that's just a question for all of us is, What's, what's, the next, what's the next question for, for each of us?
Pastor Benjamin, to add on that? No? Okay. So, let's shift gears for a minute. So, um, questions, thoughts. Joey's got a microphone. He's going to be like one of these uh, game show hosts. No, he won't. Come on down. Any feedback, questions, thoughts by, by anybody? What you've heard or anything else? Like, is there more coffee? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you are the first Jewish person for you to relate to and the first Arab person for you to relate to, but how long did it take you to trust one another? Ah, good question. And what did you do to develop trust together? Well, we, we still don't trust each other. <laughs> Is that why you closed your room last night? I locked the door, yeah. <laughs> okay, you have to understand something about us. We joke with each other a bunch. And so we'll actually say some things that you'll go like, oh, that's kind of insulting. Yes, but yeah. it's just our humor. Well, um, I, I had, I, I think for both of us, we, we had some level, uh, I had some level of relationship with people from Arab backgrounds a little bit before I got to know Ashraf, but I, I, I never had a friendship like Ashraf and I have now, like not, not even close. Mm. And with Jewish people? I think my, I never, I would never had the experience actually to meet a Jewish person if I stayed in my part of the world, but I think that, I think God started just about the time when I was, and this thing is gonna kill me, I'm sure. I feel I'm like grabbed by an alien in the back. Um, there's, I think, series of uh, people I met, and I think I've, I spoke about this before in one of my time here. Uh, it was like maybe four, four months before I met Brian, when I, for the first time, I had to, somebody came to me in one of the church that I was uh, talking, uh, speaking at, and he's like coming closer to me, and then he told me I understand what you went through and all that. I went through that even in, in the U.S., but that's because I also come from a Jewish background. It's similar to your Jew, and that was the first time I see a Jewish person in the flesh. Um, two weeks after that, um, I met another one, and uh, just the following week, I wasn't reviewed for uh, the job, and Brian was um, uh, the person. So I thought God is speaking to me through these multiple events that within like a few months. And I think the breaking point came to when I shared, uh, when I took the communion from Brian. And in my mind, that was the realizing point that I spoke about love, but I never experienced it. That's the moment when I think it's the heavenly moment, you know, the scene of the heaven. And I know I'm, I'm going back to the same story, but there is much processing. I mean, Brian didn't share that. I shifted the lines twice to not go to him, uh, to the line where he was doing uh, communion. But at the moment, when I found myself just, there is no way to run. There is two person in front of me. 
God spoke to me, if you can't, if you have to leave your sacrifice in front of the altar and go find peace with your brother before taking it, how I'm going to take the communion from the brother that I still have hold on my hate, my prejudice, and my, um, my sin side. So it is a moment of realizing. And, uh, and you need time. Us, you yeah. need time. You need to be honest. And, and, and it was, so I, I think that over the next year or two after that, we, there were things that we, we just did. We had lots of meals together. Mm-hmm. We, we worked together. We got to know each other's wives and our families. So uh, I've stayed in Ashraf's home. He stayed in my home. Um, he, Ashraf knows one of my kids quite well. He was actually, um, my son Stephen came on our Holy Land trip last year, and Ashraf did as well. And they uh, roomed together. So, but, you know, it, it's, um, it's a matter of, of investment, mm-hmm. of giving ourselves to each other, and, and then over time, um, sharing our struggles, too. Yeah. Like, real-life stuff. That's, um, so, um, you know, bo- both, our, both our dads have, have passed, and, you know, for both of us, we we were each other's first or second or third contact when our, when our folks died, you know, I mean, yeah. that, that's like real life. You have to come to a point where Brian processes things different from me and he deals with things different from me. Sometimes I will, see, I will say things like when the first time in our first meeting, he's like, um, Gentile, like I thought this term substance Paul in his writing. And I didn't know it's still used. <laughs> but at the same time, he doesn't mean anything negative by it. It's just... Just a word. Just a word. That Jews use a lot. <laughs> and same, same thing to, <laughs> in my culture. There's a lot of things that we say, and it doesn't mean. <laughs> Another question back there, Joey. Okay, where are we going? Come on, Joey, run, run, run. <laughs> As I was traveling today, I was listening to Moody Bible, and it was about 11, 11 30 this morning, and um, one of the things they were talking about was uh, the Holy Spirit, and um, did you speak in tongues, and the, the, the person on the show said, I've never spoken in tongues, he said, but I have the, the Holy Spirit, and one thing I know for sure is if uh, one person has the Holy Spirit in their life, and they meet somebody else that has the Holy Spirit in their life, they're instant a bond yeah. between them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. this is what I see here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could not agree more. Well said. I'm going to do reflecting because I'm an educator. So what I think I'm seeing is, <clears throat> since I've been teaching at IU, I teach in the School of Nursing. God has strategically placed in my class many, many students that have come from other countries, nations, and so to speak. And I've, I think what I think I hear 
like I've had clinicals where I felt like I was in a culture. I had all the countries represented and language becomes an issue even though you are required to speak English and to be able to be understood. It's really difficult sometimes to really have to focus and hear what someone's saying. And I was thinking um, that what this is kind of showing me is that God strategically <clears throat> placing us in places to where we can be the light and salt and to connect. And one thing, I've had a rough year <laughs> teaching and kind of <clears throat> getting um, some of the students to really, you know, there's certain standards that have to be met, right? <laughs> and so I think what I've learned is that I need to to listen and to be in the moment with many, many students because when I hear their stories, it's just phenomenal of how they even got here. And I think that's a lesson I've learned. And through all of that, I think God allows me to be teachable myself and to be humble and think, hey, Shirley, you didn't know all that you thought you did about this situation. So anyway, I just thank you for being willing to share. And it's kind of given me some... Um, I don't know, some maybe seeds to kind of think about how to approach. Because um, I have one student that I'm really concerned about, and he, he shares his story. And so anyway, I think I just thank you for, for what you're doing thank you. and what I'm learning from it. We'll do one more, and then we've got one, little, one more section, and then we'll – oh, two more. Uh, question for you. Um, was there a point, was there ever a point where one of you offended the other? Um, In the last day? Not, <laughs> <laughs> and, and what did you learn from it? And I, I couldn't catch the last part. What did we learn from when we offend each other? That we are different, really. We are different. I mean, we're still learning about each other. We still deal with each other. But I think when there is a problem, Brian will be the first person to contact. Um, and, um, yeah, I think not... I don't think we had reached a point of, like, deal breaker <laughs> offense. No. No. But I, I think we are more aware of talking about what just happened. Like, I take my time sometimes. Uh, Brian likes the time. Like the last time you I was take visiting. Your time sometimes. <laughs> this is like the understatement of the year. That's that's offending. <laughs> no, that's that's part of it. You know, it's just the way how I think. I can do more in five minutes <laughs> before something, while Brian have to have use that five thing. We had uh, or. I don't know. It's like not offending in terms of offending each other, but it's just, again, the differences. I, I would say this in relation to it, that it, it takes work and effort for us to relate. Like, it, it, it's not easy sometimes. I mean, some of it's just language. Ostrov's first language is Arabic, so... You know, we, we just, we, we miss each other culturally sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's tiring. I mean, it, it is, but it's also worth it. 
But it, it, it's not like when you're in your own tribe and you just, it's really easy to relate all the time. It, it's just not like that. And, and interestingly enough, we have another colleague, Elias, if, if he were here. He and Ashraf are both Arabs. I'm easier to relate to than the two of them are with each other. <laughs> because one's Palestinians and one's Jordanian, one comes from a Christian background, one from a Muslim background. And I always joke that, you know, you put five Jews in a room, you have seven opinions. <laughs> you put those two in a, in a room, you have 15 opinions just with two of them. So it's like, oh my goodness, like when the three of us are together, it's like, wow. Oh, and then they start speaking Arabic and I get, you know, a little bit nervous, like, are they talking about me and what are they <laughs> saying? And, don't worry, don't worry, we'll translate to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, so it's a lot of work and it's also really rich. That's, yeah. that's what I would say. You want? I, have, I have the microphone. Okay. Um, so I grew up in a Christian background that sort of seemed to value closed-mindedness as a way to hold on to your faith. And there was a lot of fear around um, learn, even learning about the traditions of another faith, let alone the actual faith aspects of another faith. So um, how did you overcome that? And where is that line for people who, you know, y you don't want to say everything is correct and mm -hmm. it is all good. But where is that line for both of you and how do you sort of mentally work through that? That's a good question. You start. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he puts me under the bus now. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Dealing with Brian was not my first cross-culture, cross-language, cross-thinking. I married an American, so. <laughs> so um, but moving from Beirut, from Jordan, to actually even within Jordan, going to a church uh, was a strange for me. I remember the first time I stepped into the church, I looked like uh, this guy is lost. And like he shouldn't be here. And I remember somebody coming to me, and he was actually also uh, from a Muslim background, and he came to me closely and he asked, are you here? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm here, I'm looking for my friend, but he's not here. And then he went to look for my friend. Uh, and so he said, well, I, I'm going to take you. I can help you during the service. So standing there, the first thing I enter the church, there's, there's hymns. Well, how you sing in the house of the Lord? Music and music is a debatable, a debatable question in my faith. So how do you sing in front of the Lord? And how about you sing, the Lord is a slaughtered lamb. A slaughtered lamb. Slaughtered lamb. Yep. How can God be slaughtered and like a lamb? This is if you want to offend somebody in my culture, you tell them you're a sheep. Or like, I'm, I'm dragging you like a sheep. Yeah. And so there is lots of, that's in within one circle. The second circle, moving to Lebanon. Then getting to know the culture, which is Jordan and Jordan, Lebanon, so close to each other, but still there is differences. And then 
getting my, my relationship with Emily and then get to know each other um, and to love each other was a whole ballgame. So that's American as well, much as it can be. <laughs> and so it's, it's a process. It's, it takes time. But you have to come to a moment you realize that I am weak in this part or I am processing different or I need to speak about this. I don't know if that answers your question. Mike. Well, I, and I would add to it, Fear is a powerful motivator. It just is, does not have to be the most powerful. So for some of us here, at our worst, fear is the most powerful motivator. And I think those of us who have lived in, in subcultures like that, where fear is so dramatic, and both of us actually have lived in those, it, it's paralyzing. It, it's paralyzing to us. And I, I, think, I think Jesus knew exactly this. I mean, in his time, the Jews were very fearful. They were fearful of the Romans, especially. And, I mean, they were paralyzed by it. So you had people who either wanted to sort of give in to Rome, like the tax collectors, or who wanted to have a rebellion like the zealots. And th they were all driven by fear. So, I don't know if this is the next slide, but maybe it is. Mom. Can you, Brittany, can you go to the next slide? You know John chapter 14? Jesus says, uh, peace I give to you. So he uses the, an, an old Aramaic expression, Salem, uh, peace I give to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but as I give. So he makes this distinction. He uses the same word, by the way, Salem, and he says, I give you my peace. Now, a couple of chapters later, as he's coming to Jerusalem, it's Luke chapter 19, he looks over the city, and what's he say? He weeps. And he says, if you only knew what would bring you peace. And you know the, the name Jerusalem? It's from two ancient words, Yaru, which means place, and Salem, the place of peace. That's, that's what the word comes from. It's this tremendous irony. And here's, here's the point of it, where he talks to the disciples in John chapter 14, and when he looks over the, the city... He knows, he knows that the people are totally gripped by fear. He knows it. So it's almost like fast forward to the Jewish communities in the 20th century after the Holocaust. Or fast forward to uh, an Arab Muslim community uh, in, in the Middle East or something. Where they feel threatened by something, whether it's internally like ISIS or externally like in World War I and II, the British and the French. Or fast forward to Christian communities uh, today or backgrounds that all of us have where we grew up, where we said that outsider, they want something bad for us insiders. 
and it's to your point of how do we how do we stay safe and secure from from that person or from those people or whether they actually want harm for us or not. And our, our answer to it, as the Isaac Ishmael Initiative, and for us personally, is what Jesus says. There, there has to be a new understanding and definition and, and grasp of this idea of shalom, of salem, of peace. And it has to be something that transcends our fear. Uh, other, otherwise, otherwise, the, the fear will win out. So we all have to wrestle with, well, what does it mean to have peace with God through Jesus? And is that peace, does that sort of cast a shadow over the fears that we have and say, you know what, I'm not going to fear, I'm not going to let fear drive me, but I'm going to let the peace of Jesus drive me. And th- this is what Ephesians is about. Ephesians chapter 2 says that Jesus has already torn down a dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. By the way, he used the word Gentile. I didn't there. Okay? So, and, and it starts out by saying that Christ himself is our peace. Christ himself is our peace. And he has already torn down the dividing wall of hostility between the two of us. Which means that if the wall's not there, we don't have to fear. If the wall's not there, actually not there, if Jesus has done something so dramatic, so earth-shaking in dying on a cross and forgiving us that we don't have to be gripped by that fear. Now, we, we can choose to be, and I know many, many of us still live, live in fear, but, but that, that's not what Jesus offers us. And so for the communities that we've grown up in, like I said, I've grown up in one as well, um, that, that, ha- that is gripped by that fear, I always say to my Jewish friends, well, how's that fear working for you? <laughs> and if they're really honest, they go, well, not so great. It's tiring, you know? Always defending ourselves, always being insecure always being afraid that somebody's out to get us. That, that sort of, it almost comes to a paranoia. Anything else to add? Did, did we answer your question? Yeah? yeah? <laughs> Probably short, short question, long answer, yeah. So, uh, Just say it loud and I'll repeat it if... Uh, No, not us. No. We have no convictions yeah. about any of that. Yeah. We don't, we don't so talk I, politics. My question is, to keep the peace, do you just sort of avoid the issues? No, he closed the door. <laughs> so the question is around um, how do we deal with sensitive issues? You know, my, I think both of our parents used to say this. You know, there's, my dad used to say, two things I don't want to talk about. What are they? Religion and politics. <laughs> and we would probably say that's all there is to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> is religion and politics. Uh, we, we don't avoid anything. No. I mean, we, we don't avoid any topics. Yeah. And uh, we don't agree about, anything, uh, about everything, not anything. 
Um, we don't agree about everything, but we have our own uh, opinions. We agree on things when it makes sense for both of us. And yeah, I, I think it's part of our friendship, is talking about everything. We, we don't, to, to answer your question directly, we, the two of us don't avoid anything. If, if Elias were here, we would say that that's a lot more sensitive because he, he's a Palestinian and the Palestinian story is huge and complex and it has to do with Israel and Jews and it's just complicated. So there are times with Elias that I will avoid some things because it's not, not because we don't want to talk about it, just because emotionally it's so exhausting for either or both of us. Just to keep the context, he's a Palestinian who grew up in Bethlehem. Yeah, so he, grew up in the he has lived it all for all his life. I mean, he's 20... He's almost, he's 30 years old. Now. He's almost yeah. 30 years, so he's been two years in the U.S., three, three yeah. years, 27 years in, in that perspective. Yeah, I mean, so even for me sometimes to speak to him about some certain things, it is I just can. I am so, I'm so opinionated. I have my opinion, but I don't um, talk with him about some things because as much as I would give an input, it's not going to be similar to what he went through. Feel like you have the need to almost apologize or express, I guess, more sadness, maybe. But I mean, it gets down to whether you could feel like you should apologize for some wrong that you were not really a personally part of in the past. But do you ever feel like you've had to come to a point where, like, I need to say something to express my regret or whatever? Um, so in the, in the conversation around like our Holy Land trips, for sure, there's a lot of complexity around, around that, and I, I definitely have that attitude. I think one of the principles we, we live by is uh, self-critique is a whole lot better than critiquing the other. In other words, when we, when we have political conversations or anything about, uh, you know, that, get, that is more sensitive, I always want to have the attitude first of, okay, let me look at the shortcomings of a Jewish perspective or what I would want to initially defend. How do I just self analyze and self-critique and, and I think you do the, you do the same yeah. and that kind of disarms things rather than pointing fingers mm -hmm. at that oh well that there's there's much more of kind of this self-reflection so I mean we, we've had lots of conversations around you know there were there were elections in Israel the last couple of weeks and that's a very very complicated thing Israeli politics is very complicated so it's different if I critique that than if Ashraf does because of our backgrounds. So, um, and I, I would say that, um, I mean, if Elias and were here, we, we would talk about it. 
I am frequently saying to, to Ashra, uh, to, to Elias, that there is, a, there is a power difference between Jewish people in general and Palestinian people. There, there's a very, very big power difference. Now, th this will be maybe odd for some of you to hear, but Jewish people, both Jewish people and Palestinian people, Israeli Jewish people and Palestinians, they both think they're powerless. They both, they both think they're powerless. But the fact of the matter is that Jewish Israelis are far more powerful than Palestinians. It, it's just a fact. Now, I know that that opens up a whole big thing, but I will often say to Elias, Elias, I totally recognize that there is this big power difference and that from your perspective, how you see everything that you lived in, you have experienced powerlessness. And I feel horrible about that. I, I, I feel like I, I just, I, I want to do something I don't know what to do, but I just want to acknowledge that as, as his friend, as his brother in Christ, as just to say that. It doesn't fix anything, but it at least gives him space for his reality of what he experiences. Now, it, when he asks me how Jewish people experience this whole thing around power, a lot of Jewish people, Israelis and American Jews, we actually feel powerless too, whether that's right or wrong. But, but I wait to, to hear him on that. And I think that's really helped our friendship, that we are deferring to each other like that. We Great go, question. Go. Yes, we should. Next one. You're keeping me on track. Just keep it, keep that in mind. So last part. Some things we're learning. You want to jump in? Yeah. Uh, I can't see. We we talked about this one already a bit. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I would add here one thing as a person who believe um, in a call to my life. Um, and I believe God is the source of this call. I think one of the things that I learned when you uh, deal or when you witness, when it's come to witness, don't look at the people as objects. And I'm not meaning person. I'm just saying it as, oh, this is a Muslim person. I would connect him and bring him to Christ. Or this is a Jewish person. I want to uh, connect him uh, or convert him to God. Uh, I think most, much of the witness part is uh, preached through our life, not through our words, because words without acts really meanness. And at the same time, um, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm not not gonna preach okay. Yeah, I just want to say, don't look to people with um, there is an object behind it or there is a purpose. If there is no conversion, then it's uh, um, it has no meaning. And and here's something related to it. Is put it up. So, so we don't believe in tolerance. You know, that sounds really bad. Mm -hmm. We don't believe in tolerance. So this is especially for, for those of us who uh, call ourselves 
followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we're not called to tolerate people. We don't tolerate people. So you, you know what tolerate means. I'll put up with you. I really don't like you as an Arab, but I'll put up with you. That, I don't, we don't find that anywhere in the Gospels. Yeah, Jesus says, uh, tolerance I give to you. My tolerance I give. <laughs> no. Right? So, I, I mean, I know this. I mean, politic, there's a political correctness around tolerance, and I know that in peace and reconciliation talks, tolerance is very, very important. We've been involved with that. But, but that's not what, what the gospel calls us to. The, the gospel doesn't call us to put up with our neighbors mm-hmm. who have a different skin color or religion. The, the gospel calls us to love people. So if I'm tolerating my coworker for some reason, well, by the way, whether whatever their religious affiliation or whatever, then there's something that we have to ask God to do in our hearts so that we're not just tolerating or putting up with someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Middle East was built, if you look at the modern Middle East over the last hundred years, where after World War I it was split up, it was based on tolerance. Well, okay, the Shiites and the Sunnis are going to tolerate each other. How's that working? And then Israel was carved out, and okay, well, we'll tolerate the Jews here. How'd that work out? And take it, the reason, take the reason that keep that tolerance between any two groups, and they will kill each other. Right. That's right. I mean, to- tolerance basically just doesn't work. It, it may be a short-term kind of thing, but if if we just go around tolerating our neighbors or coworkers, well, we, we, somebody leaves eventually or the relationship deteriorates. So, th- I mean, this is just <laughs> something that we continue to learn. I always say that's when, when we are, when I have a kid in, in the classroom, if there is somebody that bothers me, I will wait you outside. You know, because I am inside the, the school, because the school keep us, because the teachers keep us from fighting. But if we are outside, that is gone. So we can now deal with each other. That's how I see it. Right. So then the last question is just, we, we just keep asking ourselves the question, who is the other? And it, it has to start with each of us. It, it starts with me. It starts with Ostrov. It, it, it doesn't start with somebody else. It, it has to start with each of us. And that's always our challenge in our seminars and all the training that we do is who's the other in your life? How do you build a bridge to that person? How do you say hello? How do you invite them to a meal? How do you build that that, that God would want you to, to do? So let's end with this. We'll uh, show you a picture here in a sec. So, I want to tell you about our dads. My dad's on the left, Ashraf's dad's on the right. My dad is not the guy in the long hair on the right. Um, this is one of the last pictures that I have of my dad. Um, so, um, my dad um, was 90 years old when he died four and a half years ago. Uh, his name is Marty. And for 88 of his 90 years, he did not know God. 
and I would say that my dad had lots of reasons, actually even good reasons for not knowing God. He had this crazy, uh, hard life in lots of ways. Um, and in the last couple years of his life, um, my dad, um, my, my mom had come to faith in Jesus some years before, and my, my dad came to faith when he was 87 years old. And um, it was at a, actually a, at a Passover meal. And um, so that, that's a, the context for another actually even more powerful story. Um, so you want to say a couple words about your dad first, and then I'll... <laughs> I don't know if there is, are many, uh, <clears throat> many of you here who knew about my relationship with my dad more than anybody or any other church I would speak on. Because you, through the, the last few years of his life, you uh, um, hear, um, read about and prayed with me and prayed with my wife. Um, that's actually the trip that my dad was diagnosed with cancer. So it's, it was, yeah, yeah. It, that was in 2014, and 20 days after that, we, um, we, knew, we knew about his disease. So um, sorry. Um, but it was also the really the start of his journey to get to experience God in a different way. Um, during, um, during his three or uh, four years, he lived battling cancer. Um, my dad had an eye opening to come to realize how different my friend. My dad sold many visions from God, and he, um, he come from a point where it's really far to, uh, I didn't leave my family home country in a good term. Um, it was a long story, and if you, uh, when I hear about that more, I'm, I'm open to share more about this part of my life and journey. But at the same time, it was the moment that uh, my dad started coming to see the change in my life and see the responsibility that I am uh, taking in my life. Um, the presence of my wife in, their, in the family, in the middle of the family, showed a different perspective. You know, they, through my wife, they knew a different story about Christians. And they knew also different stories about Americans. Yeah. That was a changing point for them, and culturally and uh, religiously. My dad came at, I think, the last visit actually was when... Uh, when you visit with them. Yeah. So, can I tell this part? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, you know, there, there's a few times, there's a few 
scenes in everyone's life that are indelible, that just mark us. And, and all of us have them. And this is one of them for me and I think for us. Ashraf invited me to his home to meet his dad and his mom. Now, recognize this is like a big deal. It, it's not like, first of all, it's not like every day somebody from a Jewish background walked into their house. So, and this, this was, you know, some months before his dad died, so he, you know, he wasn't well. And so we came together, and when you walk into a, a, into an Arab Muslim home, um, you walk in, and to the left there is a room that is for guest visits, like you don't use it otherwise, and it's. It's quite, by a, by a Western standard, it's quite ornate and beautiful. And there's, it's like this rectangular room, and there are these very nice chairs all lined around the room. I mean, for, for my, I, I knew about it, but I never had experienced it. And like special guests go into this room. So that's where we met. So it was, it was Ashraf, his dad, and me in this big room. It was just the three of us sitting in the, the corner on these chairs. And so I, we had rehearsed nothing. So Ashraf and I, we just showed up. I had no idea what we were going to talk about. So, and by the way, I was time conscious because it was almost dinner time. And I'm like, okay, we'll chit-chat for five or ten minutes and then we'll have dinner. <laughs> yeah, no. So we sit down and Ashraf says to me, tell my dad about your dad. And it was like out of nowhere. Now, my dad had passed a couple years before. And so I was like, well, okay, you, what do you want to know? Like, you know, if somebody says, tell me about your parents, you give them two minutes, right? Like, oh, they grew up here, whatever. And so I said to Ashraf in English, and his dad understood English but didn't speak English. So I said, what do you want me to tell? And, and Ashraf says, tell your dad's whole story. <laughs> his whole story? Really? Really? And, and he's looking at me like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I just, I started telling about my dad. And I just told his whole story. And I, and I was looking at Ashraf like, okay, do you really want me to tell my dad's story? Because my dad's story, he knew, was that later in life he came to faith in Jesus. And about five or ten minutes into the conversation, it clicked for me culturally. What Ashraf was asking me to do was talk about an elder, my dad, to his dad. It totally makes sense in that culture. It's a, it's a statement of honor and respect. And you know what? It, it was the easiest conversation. Like, Ashraf's dad was just listened to every single word and was just there. And it didn't matter what my background was. Nothing mattered. So we get to this point. So I'm now 30 minutes into telling about my dad. And I'm getting tired. These guys are just like getting warmed up, you know? So about 30 minutes into it, I, I, I talk about my dad going to a Passover meal. And he went to a context where it was a messianic Passover meal. And every year my dad would go with my mom. And every time the rabbi or the pastor would the elements of the bread and the wine, my, he, the, the rabbi, the pastor would always say, if you're not a follower of Yeshua, of Jesus, 
then please don't take the bread and the wine. Just let it pass by. And so every year, my dad would let it pass by. Well, this year, my dad decided to take it. And my dad was a very low-key guy and didn't make a big deal about it. And he just took it. And, and the, the rabbi, the pastor, Marty, uh, his name was Marty Frome, leaned over to my dad and said, you know what you're doing? And my dad said, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and he took it. And, you know, one of the first things my dad said to my mom was, don't expect me to become one of these holy rollers like you guys. <laughs> um, so, so I'm telling this story to, to Ashraf's dad. He's translating for me. And Ashraf says to me, hey, wait, just a minute. I need to explain something to my dad. So he takes like five minutes or so, maybe even more than that, and explains in Arabic to his dad about Passover and about the lamb. Now, his dad will understand this because Islam has a similar, very similar notion, adha, the sacrifice. So here is Ashraf with his dad basically explaining the story of Jesus because of my dad's story of coming to faith. And because my dad, this 87-year-old guy, Jewish guy in New York, could do that, Ashraf's dad could hear the story new and fresh and real in a non-threatening way. Because it was about an elder, and it was about family, and it was about me honoring my dad. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, it was just one of these moments where it was like the heavens opened. And as you said, the gentleman in the back, it's like where the Holy Spirit was just doing something in, in us together, but also in, in Ashraf's dad. And, and then in, you know, in, in good Arabic fashion, we went next to the next room and we ate together for the next couple of hours. Because that's what you do when you're friends. You know, you have a meal together. And that was, that was my sign that I was welcome, that I was part of this, because we could share a meal together, where I was expecting, oh, two or three minutes, then we'll have dinner. And <laughs> it was an hour later. And it was, it was just this really, I think here, here, here's the thing. Th these are hard conversations about Jews and Muslims and faith. But our dads were the least likely people in one sense to believe in God and to encounter Jesus, for very different reasons, by the way. And yet they did. They did. And that's miraculous, and that gives us a tremendous amount of hope and, and faith that God's doing things in the others in our lives uh, in ways that we, can't even, that we can't even see. And so we, our encouragement would be that you not give up on those others, the people like our dads, who you might think don't know who God is, don't know who Jesus is, and God's doing something in their lives. Hey, we, we want to honor everyone's time. Um, Joey, are we, are we okay? I, I have no idea what time it is, so. I don't think we actually ever advertise an end time. Oh, good. So It's not five hours, though. It's not five hours. I know that. So I, I'd say it's about 12 minutes, 13 minutes before 9. Maybe we could take a couple questions okay. uh, and, and see how we go from there. Yes, great. Excellent. Uh, this is more a comment. 
I just feel like a lot, my dad's side of the family is Jewish, and I just, and similar, I think, I think a lot of, there are nominal Christians, and I think a lot of people give a lot of Jewish people a lot more credit for a personal faith than at least what my experience was in my parents' family, and that's just a yes. personal comment. Yes, the vast majority of Jewish people, you know, there's only 14 million Jews in the world. We make a lot of noise, but there's only 14 million. And, and the vast majority of Jews um, have, have no faith. I mean, very sadly, I say that, that are, are just, are culturally Jewish. And, and by the way, there, there are many Muslims like that too. But that's right. It, it is a little bit different with, with Jews because a lot of Jews will say, I mean, I grew up with like this. If you, if you saw me as a kid or you saw my brothers and you asked us just a question, do you believe in God? We would say no. And we might even say that God doesn't exist. Okay? And a lot of Jews would say that. Except when we got persecuted when we felt persecuted, then we'd be like, hey, wait a minute, we're God's chosen people, you can't persecute us. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, you said you don't believe in God, and then you said, wait a minute, we're God's chosen people, you can't persecute us. And I want to say to Jewish people, hey, you can't have it both ways. Like, you can't be atheist one minute and then be like, pull the we're God's chosen people card. And, and we do that. And you're right. And I think that's more of the the norm with Jewish people than the exception. I mean, you'll, you'll, there's 10 or 12% of the world's Jewish population that would consider themselves orthodox, and they, they do have some level of belief in God and faith, and, but most don't, you're right. Sadly. Seems like one of the things you pointed out was uh, that we accept security as a substitute for peace. And uh, if we accept security, we are willing to build walls instead of getting the others. So I think it's important for us, and I'm glad you've said, that we should seek out those others. Uh, and you've showed us some of the ways we can do that. I think that's an encouragement to, uh, to seek the others and not accept security as peace. Well put. Seventy years ago, I went to a meeting at the Main Street Methodist Church in Kokomo, Jews for Jesus. Do they still exist? They do. They do indeed. <laughs> yeah, I have good friends who work with Jews for Jesus. David Brickner's their president. Great guy. I don't know what the follow-up was or anything, but... Uh... Yep. Time for another question or two. Well, what? Oh, I see one in the back. All right. I thought we answered all your questions. You know, I'm wondering in today's culture, uh, particularly with young people, although many of us, <laughs> older folks too, uh, kind of feel like justice is the issue uh, that may help the cultures come together. I mean, how does how is uh, thinking about justice in relationship between Muslims, Christians, and Jews a helpful uh, way to get at this?
don't think we have an answer. <laughs> That's a good question. So, so in, in my thinking, justice is part of the biblical concept of shalom. So it's not a separate concept. So the Hebrew word shalom and salem in Arabic is is a wide-ranging word. It's one of those, you know, there's there's several Hebrew words that 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 the root of it captures so much. It's like the word chesed, that it has so much in it. And justice is part of that. And mercy is part of that. So if you look at like the justice system in this country or any other country, at its very best, it has as some kind of underpinning or assumption this idea of, of shalom. In other words, there, there cannot be shalom in a context without justice. It's, it's a part of the fabric of it. So we're always having to work for justice. Now, the challenge, of course, is justice is also a contemporary word. We have a, just, we have a judicial system, we have judges, we have lawyers, and all of us, we use these words and we kind of feel sick to our stomach a little bit. So that's the challenge of it, but I personally would say that justice is integral, it's part of the fabric of shalom, and it can't be separated. And by the way, if you look at the, the, the law in the Old Testament, and I realize we don't live under the law anymore, but the law had this justice piece in it, that if there was going to be a society that, that embodied God's shalom, there would be justice in that place. Uh, I, think, I think with the idea of justice, there is two, two ways we can uh, make a, dif a difference between them. There is the justice as a principle that comes to us from God. And there is the justice between us as a human. I think the idea of having the justice between humans, God had put it in the way of thinking of the others as you think of yourself. Mm -hmm. In other words, put yourself in somebody's place and act according to that. Uh, there is, um, I don't know if you um, familiar with uh, uh, Kingdom Ethic, the, bo uh, the book uh, for Stetson and Gushi. They speak a lot about justice and the Sermon of the Mountain, uh, the justice and all the initiatives, basically, that Jesus used to explain how the law look in some certain issues like justice and at the same time, how the community acted in that, uh, in his, during his time, and what is he asking to do as a third uh, di um, um, dimension? Not just thinking about it as the law says this, that's what I do, but what you would do if you were in, in the other place. So I, I highly recommend the book. Uh, kingdoms, uh, kingdom ethic. Kingdom ethic. Yeah. Kingdom ethic. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if it's good news or bad 
<laughs> so we're going to call it right here. Oh, wait, I have one other thing to say. Sorry. If anybody... Okay, so if, if anyone bought a book this weekend from Ashraf and you paid 10 bucks... <laughs> no, you have the right to take only, a half book. Right now, after it, they're only $7. <laughs> okay? So Ashraf will be giving you your $3 back. Or I will give you a book. <laughs> Buy one, get one free. <laughs> but seriously, one of the reasons that we actually, um, we're, we always feel a little bit off the hook that um, if you want to know our whole story or a whole bunch more, uh, we actually wrote the book to kind of fill in some blanks and we tell a little bit more of our story and stuff. So if you want a copy of it, you can. And I also want to say uh, personally, and behalf of Isaac Ishmael and in my behalf as uh, me personally and my family. Uh, Emily and Jude and Jordan, want to thank you, people from Faith Church. You're our Amen. sending church. You're our uh, stronghold here. And um, the first church to uh, send me as a missionary. And many of you who've been taking care of our prayers need and financial need for um, the, last, the last few years since I started this work. So thank you so much in behalf of me and my family and Isaac Ishmael too. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.